millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I kind of wanted to start off with, I've seen you speak previously about a book that you read called The Art of Being. And you referenced a particular line where it said, tell me what wakes up and I'll tell you who you are. The idea being that when you find this thing that brings you fulfillment, you feel awoken. When was the first moment that occurred to you with music? That's a good question. I think for me personally, maybe there was a couple like, obviously when you're a kid, hearing music for the first time is kind of mind blowing. So yeah, there's definitely some some memories back then, like uh, my parents showing me or my dad showing me like Dean Martin and, and Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash and that kind of stuff. But I think, I think maybe they like increased in magnitude for us. And like, I don't know, maybe some of those spill shows is when we're hit the hardest with that awakening. We, we used to play uh, this little venue in Peterborough, Ontario called the spill. And that was kind of like, it was like this little cafe with a tiny stage in the corner and pretty bad PA system. Uh, but they would just let anyone play. and. I think that it was probably one of those shows there where we where we first like had people come out and sing along to our songs uh and we like didn't fully know them they were like vague friends that we had just kind of met through music that might have been like one of the most uh intense examples of that is feeling very very alive and realizing like whoa this like music is a portal to this uh this higher level yeah how does that, that, does that impact your drive? Definitely. When you have those experiences, yeah. Yeah, I think that, like I said, like it, it increased in magnitude and each time it's just, it's so much more indulgent and addicting. And like, I think, I think for both of us, we've, we found a lot of purpose in making music. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of become like who we are. Was it the same for you, Ian? Was it a similar moment? Yeah, I think we, you know, over the last few years have shared quite a few, uh, moments simultaneously without even necessarily having talked about it after which is kind of cool but yeah like luke said it kind of the moments like that really make something as i don't know because me I, I to me I, you know music's always been important but it it's 
it's hard to see it as more than a hobby sometimes just because of... Do you think those moments kind of knock those perceptions down a little bit though? Yeah, no, totally. Like it's, you, you're kind of, it's like a curtain being open to this much bigger world that uh, music can bring you. And, and yeah, I think uh, there are a lot of small, big moments, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If we look back to the people you were when you're kind of leaving high school and or kind of even when you're in high school, you know, and you have this ambition to be professional musicians and be in a band. And then let's say we look to the person maybe three years before now, when you first started to see a real traction and success with this project and that was kind of starting to beginning to take off. What growth would you say kind of occurred in that interim from your high school self and with the ambition to actually starting to happen? What changed in you as a person in that meantime? I think um, something Ian and I talk about pretty often is like this kind of uh, happy, like ignorance or like naive thing that we used to have. And well, I think we still have, but just because because we grew up where we did and there was never a a music scene here or, or like an original music scene here or like bands or role models from here to kind of learn from. We went into things really blind and over those like initial three years of Cleopatric, it was always surprising like how it's it's almost hard to put it into words because it just sounds so stupid. But like I don't think we realized that we could be a real band. It, it seemed like there needed to be someone that like gives you permission or like uh unlocks the door for you or something. So we were just like trudging along, playing shows and having fun and and slowly bit by bit like things became more real and with each one of those things, it was like we learned a little bit more about ourselves and we became more of a, a unique band, like in songwriting and just our branding, our message, like everything we were going for. We were just kind of learning as we went. And at some point in the last three years recently, I think we realized like, oh shit, we're, we're a real band now whatever that means. It's interesting that idea you were talking about there where you almost felt like, you know, someone, there was almost like a gatekeeper and someone needed to say that you were a real band. When you start communicating with someone like Alison Hagendorf, who's head of Rocket Spotify, and you're emailing back and forth and she's adding your stuff onto playlists, did that kind of help in any way? Did that feel like that, what you had in your mind previously? A little bit. That, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely like... Uh, out of this world exciting and uh, legitimizing but I think even still like I know I personally have this this uh, ever nagging imposter syndrome and I, I I would probably blame it on Coburg and just the fact that we didn't really have a scene to belong to and it just it, we just feel like the underdogs and I think we'll probably feel like that for a lot longer I don't know I've come to terms with it and people like Ali or the team that we've been able to build around us, they've definitely helped us feel more in control and less like we need someone's permission to be up there. There have been a lot of people like that who have enabled us. It's less of a, it's a much, much less of a gatekeeper situation and rather, I mean, yeah, I guess just an enablers, like people who have seen what we've done and have kind of either helped push us to, gain a bit more exposure or just pushed us to continue doing uh what we're doing so it it, it i feel like to add on to what luke was saying you know it's it, it never ended up being 
one person who was like, okay, you're, you're a real life band. It, it was a series of events and people that we had been, we were able to do cool stuff with and people who we are still able to do cool stuff with that kind of, and they, it allowed us to kind of open our eyes and be like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of, this is still our thing, but it, it, it can be bigger than just two people playing music in a basement, which is still exactly what it is, literally playing in, in Luke's parents' basement. <laughs> yeah, there's just been a lot of help and signs uh, along the way that have kind of allowed us to feel a bit more like this is a thing that is attainable for us. I love the idea of you still playing in Luke's basement. <laughs> yeah. Does that, does that preserve something for you? We're still doing that to this day? I mean, I think I, I like to think so. It's, it's literally where I've, I've played 90% of the music in my life. Like other than at home, like we had a high school band where we jammed almost exclusively in Luke's basement, you know, ever since the beginning of this, like we've been jamming in Luke's basement since day one, really. And it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's special and it, it, it kind of is a reminder I guess symbolic. Of, yeah, it's 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 symbolic of of where we're at and what what we believe we're capable of, even with you know our circumstance. It's cool. I wanted to to come back to that idea we spoke about of feeling like you're a real band. Has your perception and your idea of what a real band is changed with time as you've become what you would classify as that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I've come to realize that. For 90% of bands, this is exactly how it starts. You're just uh, going at it in whatever way you think works. Maybe you're just having fun. And then uh, a series of events unfold and suddenly you find yourself in, in the position of a real band. And I don't really know when you, when you cross that line. I don't know when we cross that line or if maybe there's another line to cross. But yeah, like I, I guess I just, I'm kind of comforted by the fact that probably all my favorite bands felt this way in the beginning a little bit of insecurity and a lot of ambition does it give you a different form of connection to them you know you've connected with their music previously you know when you're growing up and now that you're realizing that they were in the same position as you does it kind of deepen that connection to them in any way and their music yeah absolutely yeah it's uh it's comforting especially like uh on a songwriting basis cuz i feel like i'm just getting started as a songwriter and there's that's probably where like the most of my insecurity lies but then you read stories about about people like tom york or or whoever uh feeling these same things in in the early days or at least at least describing what i think is the same thing and uh yeah i find a lot of comfort in that yeah i feel like it's important to remember that tom york wrote a bad song at one point like he seems very unattainable now but there was a point in his life when tom york was writing bad songs yeah, I like that. I like that idea. <laughs> you, you know, what we were saying there about this idea of feeling like you're a real band, you've spoken as well with this record about how it's been a process of finding a voice that you didn't realize you had. Is there a connection there between the two and the realization of both? Does it kind of, did it happen at a similar time? Was there a crossover or did one lead to the other? Yeah, like from my perspective, lyrically, I was just trying to write about stuff that uh, felt good to me. It felt good to like yell to a crowd. A lot of the touring we've done so far has just been based off the boys EP. 
Um, and a lot of those songs are, are pretty personal, kind of like layered in with some fake narration and some, some metaphors to hide behind to kind of cover up the vulnerability. But uh, like early on in, in touring, like these, these were our first tours ever really, like going through the States for the first time. There's a handful of kids that we met that we got to spend some time with and, and they told us about how the lyrics resonated with them and, and how they related to the things we, we built these songs around. And that was definitely a, a big discovery for me, like uh, realizing that even though these songs felt so specifically about my life, that they, they're far more broad than that. And uh, there's a lot of responsibility that came with that. And it feels kind of noble now, like writing this whole record, it was awesome to have that in the back of my mind that like, there's, there's going to be people out there that, that feel this stuff too, no matter how specific. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of feels like it's for myself and, and them. And that's, that's kind of that voice that I, I think we're referencing in that quote is, I, I kind of felt like these songs were talking to myself, but they're, they actually turned out that I'm talking to a handful of people and uh, that feels really good. Yeah. I mean, you've kind of spoken about that as well in terms of they're carefully constructed to, you know, galvanize mosh pits and get crowds going. At what point did that idea start to enter your mind and the idea of structuring songs that so that they could achieve a, a kind of designed response? Yeah. Well, I think like Ian and I have always been attracted to like having a dope looking show. And that also came a little bit from those early Spill Cafe shows like we some of our first mosh pits happened there and it was something that Ian and I were not familiar with but it felt amazing and I've held on to that especially when we've been writing this new record like there's been a lot of focus on that because it feels like uh fun songs with that kind of physical energy to them can act as a really awesome like Trojan horse for a bigger message and I think that that's part of what makes our band unique that's kind of like our formulas that our songs are really fun and you can just go out and hang with your friends and jump around to them uh but at any moment you could kind of tune into the words and and maybe feel a little something like it, it kind of covers two bases there and i i really like that and i think that designing our songs with that in mind really made this record uh fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> i love that trojan horse idea that's a great analogy yeah thank you what about you, Ian? How does that impact your approach, you know, once you come to that realization? Yeah, I mean, the amount of conversations that Luke and I have had about this exact thing, I mean, other than what Luke just said, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint one area of that for me. Is it different performing live at all? Like, once you get to a point where you're kind of getting better at structuring the songs to achieve an impact, does that then affect it when you're playing them live on stage? Yeah, I mean, it, when there's been the thought put into it um and you've seen it you see it in front of your eyes uh kind of work out and you see people like looking at us and and really feeling it and like without even having played really any of these new songs live that much like just even with the old tracks i don't know it's it it adds a a whole extra layer it's not just a, cr a crowd going crazy it's it's a crowd of people who feel things and are and are feeling things with you it's and it, it really i don't know it, it really adds to that that aspect of the live show um being more and more fulfilling 
um, as time goes on. Well, will you write in the live room together? Is that where the songs start to take shape? Yeah, like uh, a, a lot of the ideas come like separately and are kind of shells of what the songs end up being until we work them out with that kind of live energy in mind or even like a lot at shows. Um, there's a handful of songs on this new record that we, we kind of took on tour with us and, and played and adjusted each night because, uh, I don't know, there's some... There's like a subconscious kind of songwriting when it comes to like the live show uh, stuff that you can't really calculate or quantify when you're just sitting in a basement, no matter hard, how hard you try. Uh, sometimes you just need the pressure or the energy of like a room full of people in front of you to tell you how long to hold a certain part or, or whatever it might be. I heard, was it the demo for the Drake you put up on your SoundCloud? Uh, oh, maybe... Uh, maybe good grief. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it would have been good grief. Is that what you? It kind of ties into what you were saying there about the early stages. It's kind of the shell of the final song. Is that the demo you take into the studio with you to work on the when you're going in to work on the record? Yeah, that is what we did this time. I mean, we're still figuring out. Like, we don't really have a formula, so I can't say that this is like just how we do it. But that that is what happened with that song. It's like there's that that really funny soulless demo that. <laughs> we made in quarantine like I, I wrote that song and sent the arrangement to Ian and he added those drums and we adjusted some parts without ever like being together in person and then yeah that's what we brought to the studio with us to record yeah yeah so that one like you can really hear how synthetic and I mean obviously it's a it's a pretty shitty demo in general but you can see the spark you can of it hear though. it's it's missing yeah it, it has it, it has the foundation totally do you have that in your mind when you hear that demo? Do you do you initially do you immediately sorry begin to kind of see where you could take this? Yeah, definitely. There's just so much that just happens naturally. Like I think Ian and I are pretty good at at uh, not overthinking um, when it comes to recording or, or performing. Kind of just let stuff happen and trust uh, that whatever feels natural is what's right. But that's not to say that we haven't hyperanalyzed some stuff to the point of <laughs> ruining a song. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because we have. <laughs> How do you prevent yourselves overthinking then? If you do have a kind of tendency to overanalyze a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of trust in uh, each other's opinions that we, that we try to uh, put forward. I mean, in some, I don't know, it's, it's really different with, with, uh, every track I find. Why, uh, why don't we take Family Van then, for example, like on that track, the, the recent single? Yeah. Um, that one was interesting. Like it, it came, it came from like, uh, a little jam Ian and I had actually in Ian's basement, uh, credit to Ian's <laughs> basement. Um, I played this riff and Ian played like a couple different drum parts over it. And then we just packed up and like didn't really think too much of it. I, I just had it on my laptop and I felt this spark and I wanted to like make it into a song, but I only had this tiny little jammed section. So I put it into GarageBand and chopped it up like a beat, like splitting different sections and trying to quantize things. So it sounded not so shitty. Yeah. Like a, a pretty full arrangement came out of that. And I wrote all the lyrics and it, it kind of felt like a done song for a pretty long time until we were taking some meetings. We were in New York, like playing some of the demos for some people. And uh, there was like, there was this one meeting where we played family van. Maybe it was like the third meeting that day, like third time hearing this family van demo and we played it and it wrapped up 
And at the time, the song was like much shorter. It didn't have the whole outro section in it. But at, well, we played it in this meeting and, and kind of like it finished and everyone was kind of chatting. And I was just sitting there and I suddenly began to completely overthink it uh, in, in kind of a positive way. Like I, I just felt like, whoa, that song's really short. Like it's, it's too dope to end so fast. And then, uh, and then yeah, th- like there was some, some reworking and we built this whole outro section purely based on like some critical thinking and some bouncing of ideas. So yeah, like sometimes it's, it's natural and sometimes it's positive. And I think with family van there, there was like a, a good amount of just like, it just came out and it felt right. And then later on some overthinking that I think improved the song quite a bit. It's a different thing. It's interesting, you know, what you're saying there about the outro, how you were writing it very much with the rest of the song in mind. Is it a different thing writing off the back of reacting to something like that as opposed to just writing from scratch when you know the purpose it's going to serve in the context of the entire song instead of just coming up with ideas at the get-go? Yeah, I think, I think probably for both of us, if we're like adjusting an idea that's already kind of formed, it, it flows almost most naturally. Yeah, because then you, you kind of have like the, you have the thing in front of you. You can kind of picture it and, and see the edges. And it feels like, it feels like there's uh, something, a, a much clearer thing to be working towards rather than uh, just this yeah. unknown void of an idea. You know what I mean? That's how I see it, at least. It's like coloring in. The lines are there. You kind of just <laughs> yeah. fill them in how you want. Yeah. Exactly. Or adding a tail onto like a, a drawing that maybe the creature doesn't have a tail. It's like, you know what? This could use a tail. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, when does the idea for the game come into the picture? Yeah, that was, that was kind of a result of COVID. Like we, we've just been trying to do like cool things around these songs. Cause I mean, what the real plan would have been is to be touring and playing shows like on every release night and like, I don't know, like making a, a more classic or taking a more classic approach to it, but being at home and knowing that all our fans are at home, like we had to kind of pivot and find ways to engage people and make them feel like, or just prove to them that they're, that they're part of the team, uh, without actually being there in person and like saying it to their face. Yeah. So the game came from, from, uh, our, our kind of newly grown team that's, that's working on this record with us. This idea got thrown around to make a video game and pretty much immediately Ian and I were like, yo, that would be <laughs> nuts. I don't think it was something that we really considered or ever, like it never crossed our mind that uh, we could make a video game. But yeah, we were, we were instantly so excited about it. And yeah, it just kind of grew like we just basically put our wildest ideas into a Google Doc and made what we could happen and scrapped the rest. Did you, did you make the music for it? The kind of 8-bit stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I made um, a couple of the sounds uh, and like the 8-bit family van that kind of like rocks in the background. And you've got, I love how you, it's, you've got like the city skyline, which I think, does that have the CN Tower in it? Yeah, yeah. In the background, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Toronto, is that your nearest city? It is. Is that your kind of hometown Yeah, show? It's, it's kind of a tribute to like the commute that we used to make all the time, finishing work, like our, our jobs here in Coburg at like, 4 p.m. and then running home and putting on some kind of cool clothes and uh, hopping in Ian's van and driving to Toronto to make it for load in. It's age old story for us on the 401. On the 401, because I you reference that on the Drake, don't you? 
last or bridge last verse out from trying to think yeah yeah that's actually it's tribute to the same commute it basically is uh, uh directions on how to get home <laughs> <laughs> that song's an interesting one because it's you have this narrative there where you kind of have the first verse setting up the scene but then throughout it it's almost like well, when you look at it lyrically it's like you're flashing back to other periods in your life is that kind of a reflection of what that night that formed that song was like for you or the night that experience is based upon rather yeah definitely it it was like something kind of trivial and like just like a crappy situation that suddenly turned spiritual and like um more upsetting on a cosmic scale and so the song kind of reflects that it's like it zeroes in and then it just opens up into this void of of emotion has your relationship to that night changed after creating a song about it oh yeah that that gave us closure (laughs) um yeah and like that song's sick and we both love playing it so much so it's cool like i think anytime you can get a dope song out of a bad experience it's pretty awesome were you aware that was going to be a bad experience when you were in the middle of it because but with the kind of setup of the narrative of that it feels like it could go one of two ways like it it feels like it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing maybe yeah i think it was like fight or flight that's that's kind of what i felt that night i i didn't know what to think yeah, pretty immediately it, it at least felt um, like one of the more uncomfortable situations I've ever been in personally, <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, I mean, what, so what kind of happens is you're playing, is it your first hometown headline show? Uh, it was like our, we, we'd played Toronto a handful of times, but it was like the first one after like our song hometown had been like in some Spotify playlists. So there was like real internet fans coming out to see us or a handful of them and it was our first time performing for our brand new agent and we wanted to impress him and all this stuff kind of compounded and then some people that used to go to school with show up that you weren't expecting or wouldn't have been expecting yeah kind of like the archetype of uh the boys like the, the the kind of the boys that we wrote the ep about roll up and eventually like to make a long story short there's there ends there's like a fight that ends up breaking out in the mosh pit so ironically, like this is, this is where it reaches that cosmic scale is like we were playing hometown, which is a song about, you know, the anxiety of a hometown and the characters and the, the masculinity of a hometown being something I want to avoid. And as this fight's breaking out, I'm singing the second verse where I say, somehow they make it to all of my shows and where can I go? And I'm watching that exact situation unfold in front of me and it was it was just shockingly i don't even know what word to use has life ever imitated art for you in that in such a direct way like that at any other time i think i have my eyes open for the, these kinds of things um because i'm kind of into that like i'm into this the idea of manifestation and i don't know just good vibes and i like to look out for a good story when when one's unfolding i don't think i can narrow down to one right now but there's, there's been many times where I've been like, whoa, that, that would be in a book. <laughs> it's interesting you're kind of speaking about that archetypal figure that you're talking about in that EP and then shows up to the show, this kind of embodiment of toxic masculinity, which is something that the, the genre of rock, something that you are re-energizing, has a history with and kind of has associations with in its past. How do you kind of view that and how do you deal with with those connotations that the genre has. I think, I think for us, it's a pretty musical approach. It's that Trojan horse thing. Like our rock and masculinity are kind of synonymous. 
we both think that that sucks. Our kind of like answer to that is to write these rock songs that kind of like musically, I think they probably attract the masculine type, but lyrically it, it has that Trojan horse of like not being about that at all. In fact, often just critiquing it. And that feels to me like a good start for making our shows like a space where anyone feels like they can come is, is lyrically like it, it's clearly open for anyone that's actually listening. You seem to, you, you know, you kind of emulate that as well in the stuff surrounding it. Like if you look at your tour diaries and stuff, they're carrying on that message. Yeah, I think, I think we've always made a conscious effort to just let ourselves be ourselves and be dorky and not try and be like, not try and uh, present ourselves as being cool. Cause maybe that's where the, it gets easy to cross that line and suddenly you're being a douchebag. Where, I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of touching upon the video content surrounding it as well. I'm intrigued by where do you draw the line between art and the content surrounding it? Because a lot of the stuff you put out, whether it be, you know, we're talking about the video game, the videos, the zines, they all feel very tied to the project and like a natural extension of it. Do you view them as part of the art or are they kind of content or, yeah, where do you draw that line? Well, I, I've, I think the big, uh, a very big part of the art is the community and, you know, We've, we've been very blessed to make a lot of amazing friends and, and there's been this, this community that's really built itself alongside of um, our music and our, our friends' music and everything that's tied with the NRM. It's, it's, it really all feels like it's a part of one thing. So yeah, it, like the, the videos and, and the zines and, and the things that we do that are more a bit more for fun not that the music part of it isn't fun but you know it's definitely the 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 center point i think everything else i, I like to think it all falls under the same category i guess but in, a, in another sense it's i don't know maybe it's more of just a space for us to, to show our our more light-hearted uh, artistic sides yeah i mean you've got the tattoos and stuff in there as well when it comes to the zines yeah like that those are like like I feel like everything that I've drawn for that, those are like pretty goofy and average, but like people seem to love them. And that's like, that, that feels like art to me. Like if, you know, it, it feels good to, to draw those things and, and then the occasional person actually gets them tattooed on themselves. Cause it means something to them. It's like, it's, it's pretty <laughs> special. It's, it's cool. It comes down to connecting with people, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, and that connection doesn't always have to be so serious. It can be, it can be fun and it can be lighthearted. And I don't know, art, art comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes and, and interactions and moments. So it's, yeah, it's hard for me to really categorize it too much, I guess. I mean, as the artist, does, it, does the connection feel different when you see people mosh into your songs or you see people getting something that you've drawn tattooed on them? Is that a different thing or is it the same feeling of connection? I don't know. The music can feel a bit more, uh, a bit more based on the moment, I think. And it's, you know, you're kind of in it together. And like, I don't know, sometimes things like the tattoos and whatnot can, can, I think it can catch Luke and I off guard. Like it's amazing and it blows us away, but it's almost like a bit harder to grasp. It's like, it could, because it's so like, it, it means so much that it's, it's hard to even like, articulate how that makes you 
makes us feel when when the music and playing shows is it's just it kind of just comes it's just already the full package just being laid out in front of you you know what i mean it's just i don't know it, it can be overwhelming sometimes in, in the best way possible if that makes sense is it because the tattoo is so permanent as well perhaps yeah i mean like whether it's a tattoo or someone coming up to us telling us about how much you know uh they relate to a song like the depths and how they've they spent so much time in similar situations uh, growing up and in high school it like i don't know it's it's just more in general i think my mind goes to how many people this music has reached even people that we haven't met like it, it really just it's almost hard to wrap my head around i don't know it's truly amazing do you can you remember the first time that someone approached you and told you that they truly connected with their with your music and that it affected them in a profound way yeah like i think that happened a couple times in like the early days but it it was like our friends kind of and when it's your friends i don't know like maybe we thought that they're just being nice or just just being friends right like it didn't quite hit the same until i think we were out on the road and meeting like completely random people but uh yeah i i definitely do remember like suddenly realizing that there was this honor and this responsibility that between like us and our listeners being maybe a little bit afraid of it uh but mostly just grateful you need a little bit of fear yeah exactly i mean if if you don't fear that kind of thing you you might be a sociopath <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think about those moments when you're in the studio those moments where you connect with your fans not not before but uh, on this new record uh a lot definitely a lot there's certain songs that like i just can't wait to come out because there's a specific person in a specific city that i know is is like gonna love it i think that's pretty cool it, it feels it feels very communal um it's made songwriting it's changed songwriting for me because it feels like it's not just for me anymore which is i don't know i can't i can't find a better word to describe it than cool but it's it's something was was that idea something that came to mind when you were constructing 2008 in the studio um yeah a bit i think i think actually as far as the album goes that one might have been like the most for me than all the other songs that one's probably the the one where that happened the least i thought i thought about others the least it is very intimate almost haunting it at points and yeah i'm um i'm really proud of that song and it's a it's definitely a special moment actually the, those last three songs are a really special moment on this record where did 2008 emerge in the writing chronology of the songs on the album? At what point did it come to you? This is the last song I wrote. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, but I, I'd been trying to write it for a long time. I, I, it's kind of weird, but I, I kind of name my songs before I, I even write them. And so there's that name for a long time. I'm, I'm sure there's like probably six different versions of it in, in Ian and I's text conversation. <laughs> but it wasn't until like right near the end where I guess maybe um, having kind of a, a bigger batch of songs helped inform the aesthetic and like the approach that, that this concept should for 2008 should have taken. And also like I, I collaborated with our, our producer Jig Dubay on it. And uh, that was kind of, one of the first times I like really wrote a song with someone other than Ian, that was cool too. Like it, it was just like 
a different perspective all of a sudden that unlocked a different thing. And yeah, it helped finish that song. Like I, I truly felt like that song wasn't going to get done in time to record, but then it, it happened. And uh, yeah, I've been really excited about it ever since. What did Jake bring to that that allowed you to complete it? Um, I think he, I had a version that it was not as vulnerable. It was, it was hiding behind some ego and it was trying to be kind of cool. I sent it to Jig and he sent back this, like, like the same thing, but completely different, just so much more vulnerable with like most of the melodies, like kind of laid out in the way they are on the record. Yeah. It was just like this loose, much more gentle idea um, that maybe I was too scared to even approach. But yeah, that, that kind of like, I don't know. Sorry. This is my first time ever talking about this actually. Um, I wonder, could you have written this? Do you think you only could have written the song at this point into your writing um, progression almost? Do you, do you think yeah. you, you couldn't have written the song like three years ago? It feels like maybe. No, I don't think so. I think that this song is exciting for me because it feels like a kind of a new step for me as a songwriter and, and for this band and like what we feel confident doing on record. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's special. When when you have the title, how much of the song do you have in your mind? Do you know what you want to write about? Yeah, like usually usually I'll I'll write with a title and like one good little lyric or like piece of poetry. And I'll just I'll like hold on to that and try it out on like every song idea Eden and I have, see if the lyrics kind of fit or the vibe fits. And if it doesn't, I just I'll try out a different one. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works. There's like a title and like a line and a basic theme, uh, but not much else other than that. And I wait for the right the thing, like the right musical idea to support the emotions or whatever themes or the lyric that I have is, is exploring. And then once those two things click, it's like pretty immediately, it feels like the door opens up and I can, I can go in and write out all the lyrics and arrange and it just kind of comes. So you'll, will, will it just come out as a stream of consciousness and then you arrange afterwards? Sometimes. Again, like pretty much every song we've written is out. And so like we're, we're really new to songwriting and I, I find I hit, I hit walls pretty often and like maybe lyrically I'm, I'm able to convey what I want. The, the melody is really important to me and if I don't have the melody, I can't quite get the words out or the, the rhymes don't kind of fit properly and that can kind of derail the whole stream of consciousness thing but sometimes the stars align and it just comes out you're saying there as well you know pretty much every song you've written is out will you reject ideas before they become full songs yeah yeah like do you normally if you see it through to the end you know it's going to be good yeah and it might be unhealthy but i don't know i i've just never been able to finish an idea that i don't i don't like it doesn't feel like it has the thing and I don't even know what the thing is, but it's just an energy and, but I'm cool with it. Like Ian and I are usually both on the same page when if something's not working, we'll just move on and there's not really any shame in it or we don't, we don't mourn those ideas. How did you react when you heard 2008 for the first time, Ian? Well, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, like Luke was saying, it was kind of a, a long process and, and I was actually just looking at all those voice notes the other day. There's literally six that are titled 2008 that <laughs> do not all sound anywhere near each other. But yeah, it was, it was a, a very critical moment. There was that other idea that was 
pretty well close to being done. And I remember thinking it was a, a really cool idea and I, I was really excited about it. It was the little guitar part that I'd come up with. And then Luke had like really just taken that and made it this awesome thing. And then when he came to me with the newest version, it really like opened my eyes. And I thought like, wow, like, I don't know. Some, you don't realize like what something's missing until something else is put in front of you. And it, the, you know, I remember the, the second he sent me a clip of him playing this version, it really, uh, I don't know, it really opened my eyes and, and, and made me, it didn't open my eyes to a, like a new level of critiquing things, but I, it made me see like, oh, there, you know, there, there is potential in, there sometimes is potential beyond what is laid in front of you. Yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like a similar thing to what Luke was saying, where when he gets the melody, you can suddenly write everything. It's like when you hear the the correct version of the song, the version that feels right, it then all makes sense for yeah. you in the same way. Yeah, like I, I remember feeling like it was ready to go, but obviously like there's a bit more to it than just a catchy melody sometimes. And I don't know, sometimes you just have to look a bit deeper than that. We touched, um, we mentioned Jig a few minutes back as well. What's the story of your relationship with him? How long have you been working with him and why why was he the choice for this record? And was he always the choice for this record? Yeah, well, I mean, we've only been friends with all those guys uh, in Zig Mentality for a few years now, but you know, we've gotten very close and 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 bonded over quite almost everything that Luke have been, Luke and I have been bonding over for the last decade and a bit, you know what I mean? Like they came into our lives in a, in a pretty like weird and organic way. And we really hit it off and started doing cool stuff together. And, and they had actually, we, we were staying at their place after playing a show in Ottawa, which is where they live. And they had showed us new music that they had been working on. And, and it was just a very, an obvious moment, I think for both Luke and I, and we, uh, we were really excited suddenly about the idea of uh, working with Jig and and just being in that environment with those guys, but yeah, we 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 had worked with him once before, just kind of trying things out. We had actually uh, recorded a different version of Family Van in this kind of cool, not quite as professional studio, but it was one of the most vibey, amazing studios we had ever been in. I, I, I think getting through that process and and seeing how well our ideas and 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 uh, our beliefs really within rock music how well they gelled with jig it really just it made sense and um it kind of became a no-brainer to to try to do the the full record with him and it's cool it, it, this is it feels like there were there were plenty of options for this record laid out in front of us and very appealing options too to work with different producers and whatnot but I mean, looking back now, like this feels like the only way it could have could have happened. Like it was really just the three of us in it, just kind of breaking rules where it felt necessary. And just nobody was really telling us that there was too much uh, fuzz or the symbols were too crashy and, and whatnot. It was really just us doing what felt right to be as simple about it as possible. It really, so many moments added up to just feeling like the absolute perfect situation it's interesting i like that phrase you used well you used the phrase there you know breaking rules it's almost like you need that comfort and that trust in your producer 
to then go out with your comfort zone once you're in the studio and push things to the limit. Yeah, totally. Like he, Jake has, brings a lot more of the technical knowledge to the table. Um, he's like obsessed with sonics and, and he's just, when he, something excites him, he dives in and is really just fully immersed in it. And I think that was something that Luke and I really benefited from because we both have our strengths and it was really just like a, uh, a trifecta, I think of, of cool ideas and, and just pulling things off that we kind of thought were possible, but maybe weren't a hundred percent sure about at one moment in time. And it really just came together beautifully. Did you say as well that you worked on, was it an earlier version of family van with him? Yeah. Like we re recorded a demo. Uh, well, I, I, at the time we weren't sure if it was a demo or not, but it I, we now consider it like the, the last demo we had done, I think in 2019, in the, in the early winter of 2019. So that was really like, we, we wanted to try out working with him. And that was like one of the moments that really, I think, um, stuck with us because we, we did essentially what we did with the record. We worked on it in studio and then brought it back to the basement and just kind of messed with it. We even had that version mixed by John Wayne, who mixed the whole record. And it just really felt like this amazing package that uh, we were all very, very excited about. And uh, yeah, we kind of took what we did in in that early session and just maxed it out when we worked on the record. What's the most important lesson that you've learned about yourselves that you can apply to your life through making music since that period? You know, over the last few years, as you've kind of discovered your sound and and gone on to do the things that you've done? That's a crazy question. I think for me, not to sound corny, but like to just like believe in myself a little bit more. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, like just trusting that if I think something's cool, that there's a good chance there's like someone out there that also thinks it's cool. And that there's also a good chance that we can all get into a room together and both think it's cool together simultaneously while it happens. Yeah, I think that I think I've just learned to like trust myself a bit more and and believe in myself for lack of a better uh, idiom or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I it, that's 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 a tough question for me. I, I feel like I've been learning um, many, 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 many things about myself within the last three years. So it's, it's hard for me to pinpoint one. I think... Uh, do you connect to, to what Luke said in a way? Do you kind of feel similar? But the, this idea of kind of believing in yourself a little bit and having... Do you think you've got more conviction now than you did two years ago in your ideas? Yeah, your music? I mean, I think so. Yeah, I like to think so for me. Like, I mean, on a similar level to Luke, like I don't uh, write the music nearly as much as Luke does. Um, but it's something I really am passionate about. And the small ideas that I've been able to translate not just on the drums but little ideas that have worked out to be um on record like little riffs or whatnot that the idea that those can be on the same level as what i what i see things that luke comes up with and shows me like that's a that's a huge confidence boost for me 